Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Hello, gentle listener, or not so gentle listener. Hello, thuggish <laughs> listener. Uh, it's that time again. It's time for the bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com, and also a member of the Starburst Magazine's family of podcasts. Hello, I'm your host Ed Fortune, and I'm here with Nympha Hayes. So on today's show, I will be talking about Half a King by Joe Abercrombie. Yay! Um, also, and then we'll be talking about Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. We are available on social media. We are available <laughs> on Twitter as Radio Bookworm. We are available on Facebook as Radio Bookworm. We're available on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Mixcloud. You can also find us on iTunes via the Starburst Magazine, dot, uh, magazine web, website, starburstmagazine.com. Um, you can also find us via Smoke Signals if you know the secret ways. And also our owl is called Radio Bookworm. But you have to be a wizard to use that. Uh, our station is also available on fabradiointernational.com if you're listening to us via iTunes you should go and have a look at it if you're listening to us via fabradiointernational.com you should you know then you're already looking at it Um, so yes hello Um, we have loads of stuff we also have a chat with Cameron Hurley in the middle of the show so if you're here for that listen to the rest of the show please Across the world, 24 hours a day, this is Fabrium International. So it's boot news time, it's how we always start the show. So yeah, um, one of the conventions that we weren't at this year... <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking about Edge Lit, which we've just come back from um, last week. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. One of the conventions that we haven't been, it was San Diego Comic Con, because uh, we don't have the budget. But Give us a budget, please. <laughs> we, we don't even have a budget, never mind a budget. <laughs> even if we had the budget, there's no guarantee we'd get in. That's fierce. It is very, very fierce. I think there's people actually sort of with the finger ready on the computer to book tickets on, on the sort of like on the second it switches to to hey here's the tickets available it's fascinating i know some people have awesome amounts of access and they still have a nightmare getting there but anyway things that are happening at comic-con um new books from image dark horse dark horse dark horse, dark horse archie and dnq uh image all uh, right okay so let's get into this so we've got afterlife of archie uh, is still running um the, the Not For Kids Zombie Tale uh, is launching as a hardback. Life of Archie, which is the hot graphic novel which covers the death of Archie. If you don't know who Archie is, he's an American, he's an American comic book character. He Essentially, he's a, he's a lad who has two girls. He's in a menage a trois, and it's kind of kids' comics in a kind of high school idealised way. Anyway, they've killed him. Uh, they killed him in the main book, so I imagine a black covering will be coming back as a cyborg at some point, I imagine. <laughs> um, but all, the Archie comics have also announced that they're doing some superhero books. Uh, the Black Hood, The Fox and The Shield, which are revived superhero se- series way, from way back when, essentially. So they've brought those back. Could be very interesting. Uh, Dark Horse is obviously showing off its Hellboy title because it's one of the, it's one of the things it's most proud of. Uh, Hellboy in Hell: The Descent by Mike McNaughton and Dave Stewart is a new hardcover published in honor of the 20th anniversary of Hellboy. Drawn and Quartley can't say Drawn and Quartley. Drawn and Quartley uh, is showing off Mimi's Pond over easy. John Pelsolano's memoir, The Hospital Suite, and along with Bumperhead, a new book by Lost Boss Gil- uh, Gilbert Hernandez. Fantagraphics uh, have also got a whole load of cool stuff out, um, and are highlighting titles such as An Age of License uh, and Donna Rose's Take on Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck. Um, someone pointed out to me recently, or I read recently, that uh, Little Half Nanny uh, and DuckTales are basically the same thing. <laughs> God, I love DuckTales. 
Um, top shelf are still flogging the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen horse. Um, there's a $50 limited edition hardcover available, um, signed by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. If you're that, if you're still in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I kind of went off it with the some of the nonsense that went on later. Um, and Top Shelf, Top Shelf are still producing their Star Wars kids parodies, uh, Jedi Academy, Return of the Padawan, uh, and Goodnight Darth Vader from Chronicle. I uh, love he's it. The, the, the chap who did um, Darth Vader and Son. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. and 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 Darth Vader's little princess. Yes, which Absolutely. I might have on my shelf because Absolutely. you know I have a five-year-old who's totally a Sith. I see. So what she's all about isn't being all about passion and embracing the joy like a bad wisdom for for five-year-old, or is it just? Have you met my daughter? That's a good point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see that working. Most toddlers are in fact Sith Lords, aren't they? That makes, that makes yes, sense. No, it's just my daughter is going to rule the universe. <sighs> but yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, she is. Um, uh, Frank, Frankfurt Book Fair is sending a delegation of publishers to Cologne for Gamescom. Uh, we got loads of invitations to Gamescom. We could have gone to loads of different things at Gamescom. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't have actually covered any of it because it's in you know Cologne. But still... <laughs> Still, you know, nice. Uh, so essentially, people from the Frankfurt Book Fair are turning up to um, Gamescom, which is its equivalent in the games industry, to talk about uh, interactive books and literacy and also license various bits and pieces and to uh, to explore the cross-media exploitation of titles and intellectual property. It sounds terribly stuffy, but it's actually quite exciting because mm. it, means, you know, it means that books with websites and games and tie-ins and apps and that sort of thing. Um, Julie Crisp's been at it again. Uh, Toy UK's Julie Crisp has uh, preempted the world English language rights for a new novel called False Hearts, and then uh, and a deal and uh, and an additional untitled novel, both written by Laura Lamb. You'll never guess who the agent who sorted out the six-figure deal was. Juliet Mushrooms. Yeah. Yay! Bless her. Um, best agent in the business, as far as we're concerned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I should have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I will give you my blood. <laughs> can you please I look at my blood. stuff? I don't think she wants I think she just wants a good book she can sell. I know. Um, so, yes. Um, so, yes, yeah, six-figure deal, apparently. Six-figure deal. Um, False Hearts and Open begins in Man's Half, a retreat that's closed off from the rest of society and denied access to technology or modern medicine where twin sisters, Tamer and Taylor, dream of a life beyond the walls of the compound. It sounds great. Sounds like a thriller. It sounds very sci-fi as well. Yeah, they're uh, saying it's sort of like... Reading the Hunger Games, if it met Blade Runner and The Shining Girls. Oh, okay. Um, by the by, we are on social media, and if you've read The Shining Girls and your response to The Shining Girls is to go, "Ooh," then then let us know. Or even if you know you just want to tell us about The Shining Girls, we should talk about love and books at some point and see mm. if we can get on the show. Well, I've read The Hunger Games, and obviously I've seen Blade Runner, and and I've read the the novel that. You know, inspired it. So, so I'm I'm curious. I'll go to the girls. I'll get it to you. It's, it's um, intriguing. I believe it's also one of the um, one of the items we have on the show. Anyway, False Hearts is coming out in 2016. Um, oh, oh, man, Booker Prize has controversy. Like we care. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk more about that. Uh, shall at we some talk? Point. Shall we talk about it at some point? About at how, some point. Uh, you will. You know, we will. Uh, our indifference, I think, we need to discuss at some point. But um, that's it for news for the time being. So I'm going to talk about a book that came out recently. It's on Delray. It um, came out just a few weeks ago, about last week, I believe. It's by this guy called Joe Abercrombie. Um, <laughs> it's called Half a King. It's rather good. We actually met Joe. Um, we did. At he's Edgelet. awesome. Um, we'll talk about Edgelet later, but he's a really, really nice man. Um, kind of how I expected him to be from the writing. <laughs> I don't mean. I don't mean kind of like you know he he ran off and immediately tortured me. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I mean he um, was oh. charming, clever. But quite, you know, I had, had a deliciously turned for the dark. 
Yes, yes, very sort of dry, witty humour. Yeah, he was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed the reading that he did from Half a King. And a lovely man with a, with a hint of the devil about him, but not yeah, in a bad way. Yeah, I think that 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 about covers it. I'm sure he would appreciate the 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 compliment. <laughs> so anyway, uh, talking about the book itself, um, the plot is we have young Prince Yavi, and um, young Prince Yavi. It has a hand that is mutilated. He was born with, you know, essentially one single little finger on one hand. His other hand's fine, but you know, he's the youngest prince, the the oldest prince, and the fa- his father. It's set in a kind of medieval society. If you think Vikings, you're not going to go far wrong. Um, a very kind of Saxon style, mm-hmm. like Saxon style society with lots and lots of violence it's all about your sword arm and your shield arm and how you can fight so the young prince at the time is training to be a minister uh, his brother's clearly going to be king he is not suited to be king because he's only really half a boy and he'll grow up to be half a man so uh, as far as the society is in but he's very clever and he's very sharp so he's been training and the book opens with his training he, it opens with him talking to a, another minister, uh, ministers are either called mothers or fathers, depending on their gender, and, and you know he's just looking forward to taking the test and becoming all that he can be. And it's not—he's not a religious minister. It's about wisdom. It's about knowing different languages. It's more like a counselling almost. So he's literally training to be his brother's counsellor and, exactly. and guide him in in those decisions that don't come easy to to those that are more bloodlusty. It all goes horribly wrong. Of course it does. When the, the king and the elder brother go off to see uh, Gwel Gilgorm, who is this, again, this terrifying warrior and his terrifying warrior clan, another nation, essentially. Mm-hmm. They, they go and make try and make peace because they sh- you should always try and make peace before you make war. And they turn up dead. So the king's dead. The first in line is dead. That would make Yavi the king oh dear oh dear dear me or half a king half a king he's only half a man he's only half a boy he only has one hand he must be half a king so he goes he he, he goes and he the first thing he has to do of course encouraged by his uncle who is he, whom he loves who is wise um yeah it's not a spoiler it's in the blurb for the book it doesn't end well. He goes on his first raid. He gets betrayed by his own people, by his own family, um, and is left for dead in the ruins of a foreign land. He he crawls his way across the rocks. He is incredibly lucky. And then it's the first pe- person he meets enslaves him. And then it gets worse. <laughs> Yay! Um, and you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns and flowers and happiness. No, it's a Joe Abercrombie. Novel. It's a Joe Abercrombie novel. It's it gets worse no. and worse and worse. Um, there's, you know, none of what I've told you really is a spoiler. It's a glorious first ten minutes of the book. You will love the ride. Um, it's one of those reviews. We sat down and we debated whether we should, you know, should we review Half a King? And the first response was, well, of course we should. It's a new book and people want to know about it. On the other hand, it's like, well, no, hang on. It's, it's going to sell brilliantly well and we, we, we champion small press and all the rest of it. It was like, you know what? We love this. We completely <laughs> adore it. If you've not heard of Joe Abercrombie, then you've been living under a rock. Um, and you should, you should just go and enjoy it. One of the things I found very interesting, talking to him at Edge Lit, which I know we're going to talk to talk about a bit more, but his book was his work is very much a response to the kind of the lighter, happier stuff like the Elfstones of Shannara. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you've got George R. R. Martin stuff, Game of Thrones, got ten TV series. It's very dark. The response from places like Stars and MTV is to produce brighter fantasy, kind of jollier fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I kept reading Half a King going. You know what? The BBC could do really well with this. <laughs> HBO and the BBC together could do really, really well with it because it's not a high magical world. There is, there is magic. Um, there's, there's, there's the suggestion of magic. Um, there's an ancient history there. There was a time when the, there were time when there were just one god. The elves did something naughty. Um, the elves were all gone. 
they apparently did something naughty. They split all the gods up, so all the gods are shattered into things. And there's elf ruins, there's these weirdly structured buildings everywhere from clearly a more advanced civilization with more advanced ways. Um, they're, 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 part, you know, they're part of the background that gives you a kind of strong fantasy feel. But if you're thinking 10th century Europe, you've got a good feeling as to what this world is like. Mm. Um, he was very, very sort of keen on, on pointing out that, you know, think Viking while you're reading it, because that's where the, the sort of like the inspiration for, for the civilization came. The, it, it's interesting that these characters are heroic, but not in your traditionally heroic way. They're heroic because circumstances have made them have to get on with their lives and become do you know do the things do do incredible things because they've got no choice you know at no point does someone go and i will be a hero no it's more well i need to survive i need to do this Ah, let's go and do it if i don't do this this person that i need to survive will die therefore i must do this um there's a pragmatic there's a pragmatic feel to it um Oh my goodness! You can you kind of you fall in love with the characters. You fall in love with Yavi. Um, the various other characters who turn up. I'm desperate to try and avoid spoilers, but there is an ensemble cast, and um, yeah, it's d- don't expect a happy, happy, easy <laughs> ride for any of these Again, characters. It's a, it's a, it's grim, it's twisty, turny, it's dark. If you um, his writing style is easy, easy flowing. It's very easy on the mind. Um, you will find yourself completely immersed. Um, there is also a version available on Audible. I love the Audible version Ooh. because they gave me the Audible version as well. Oh, fantastic! I uh, completely adored that. Uh, very, very easy to listen to. Very, very easy to absorb. Um, very well done. It's one voice all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one consistent voice. Um, doing the various voices, so it's an audiobook. It's mm-hmm. completely unabridged. It's nine hours, oh um, <laughs> which which is fine for most people. I think if you read it, you listen, read it, listen to it in the car on the way. I was just going to say, a lot of people do that nowadays. You know, on your way to work, if you drive or if you're on a train, you just pop it on and listen for that hour, and you know, you'd be done in just over a week. You will find yourself sitting in the car park, however, just to finish off that <laughs> chapter. Um, it's lovely it, it's not lovely it's dark it's grim it's engaging it will draw you in it is absolutely 100% worth your time John Bracombe is one of the the, the new great names uh, he's he's extremely popular this world is as good as his first lore world it's as good as his his other worlds um, go for it you will I, I, I can't say a bad thing about it to be honest, I can't. I can't even pick it apart. You it's know what you can say? What? You can remind people what the title is. Who it's is called it Half a King. It's by Joe Abercrombie. It's the first part in the Shattered Sea series. So yes, you, you will have to read more. And oh my God, I'm, I'm waiting for the sequel right now. Damn it! <laughs> um, it, it, it. You can just jump in as well. You can jump in and enjoy it. Um, you don't need to have read any of his other works, which is really, really useful. It's available on Delray. Um, and it's out in hardcover, it's out in ebook, and it's out on Audible as well. And I can recommend the Audible version. Um, it, I, I do this thing where I flip between the ebook version and the Audible version, and it was very, very, very much well worth doing. Um, so yeah. So we caught up with Cameron Hurley. Uh, we're big fans of Cameron Hurley on the show, uh, but she's a, she's a fantastic world builder. She's a fantastic creator of books. She's got a, a new a book out called The Mirrored Empire, uh, and also we talked a bit about the Beldam Apocrypha. But uh, enjoy our interview. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. Welcome to the Bookworm, Cameron Hurley. Thank you for having me. So, tell us all about Mirror Empire, please. 
Uh, well, The Mirror Empire is the first book in my new epic fantasy series. Uh, it's actually set in this world that's ruled by changing stars. So those stars that, uh, those folks who can draw on stars that are ascendant, they gain grand powers and they prosper. And those that, uh, you know, have stars who are in decline, they're kind of, you know, waiting on the sidelines until theirs becomes ascendant again. So at the point where the story starts is when this dark star, Oma, returns to the sky after two millennia. And that traditionally brings with it, you know, calamity and death, the fall of civilizations. And then we've got some invaders that arrive from foreign shores, searching for forgotten knowledge. There's genocide. There's assassins. And then we sort of follow uh, the uh, adventures of a young orphan uh, who's uh, the orphan of a slain blood witch who discovers that these attackers and their victims are actually sort of reflections of each other and they're being brought together for a battle to the death where you know one world will rise and one will perish. How different is Mirror Empire from your previous work, The Bell Dam Apocrypha? Uh, well, you know, the Beldam books, uh, you know, God's War, Infidel, and Rapture, they're pretty basic smash-and-grab plots. So it's this small team of folks. They're out. Uh, they have a very complete and clear goal. You find the alien. You kill the rebels. You grab the super weapon. Um, whereas Mirror Empire is uh, certainly much more complex than that. It covers this global assault uh, on the people of one world by the people of a parallel one, and it explores how these various people and cultures uh, confront that threat. So that really required a lot more work as far as uh, plot uh, than I had to do with the Belldown books. I certainly worked closely with my agent to kind of slowly introduce this really complex world of flesh-eating plants and craziness and pull people through the various personal arcs that these characters have while advancing the primary plot arc. So so I guess I, I guess a lot of the differences really are in scaling. Uh, this is a certainly a grand epic scale, and whereas the Belldown books were very much, this is the Firefly team, right? They're going out, they have very discreet adventures. Your work is well known for its gorgeously detailed world and setting. Um, why do you think this has become more and more popular amongst the re readership? Uh, you know, it's funny because I always ask myself, why are people writing fantasy and science fiction who don't enjoy world building? Um, I actually come out of this, come out of this new weird tradition. Um, folks like Jeff Andermere, KJ Bishop, Chani Mieville, Angela Carter. It's this very visceral type of world building that's about taking you to some place that's very, very different, some place you've never been before. I mean, this is fantasy. It should be, you know, the very edges and limits of your imagination. Um, so I always thought it was weird that so many fantasy writers didn't really pay attention to it. It's, it's actually difficult for me to read something like Game of Thrones after I read Paul Park's um, Starbridge Chronicles. Because, you know, George Martin talks about, oh, there are these epic erratic seasons, but he doesn't actually go into how that changes the shape of the world's cultures and economies. Um, certainly not in the way Park does. Park posits this huge epic where a season lasts 30 or 40 years, and then he explores like this entire year, which is 100 years, and how each generation is shaped by the seasons that they came of age in. Um, so that, that to me is the real benefit of intense world building. It asks the question who we'd be if circumstances were very, very different. Um, and as you had said, right, I suspect many writers just avoid it because it's really hard, <laughs> uh, especially in Mirror Empire. I mean, I have, you know, there's some cultures with five genders, some with three genders, uh, some are egalitarian, some are matriarchal, some are patriarchal. They're very, very different, and all those cultures clash. And I think that for a lot of writers, it's just easier to write about people who talk and interact the way that, oh, they see their friends do it, and then they kind of perpetuate the same biases and blind spots, only everyone has magic, and it's great. Um, but that, that really isn't the appeal to me, I think, of, of science fiction and fantasy. I, my, the, what really appeals to me is this total reimagining of the world um, from the ground up. Your work is seen as very progressive, and there's more of a demand for work that is progressive and deals with social issues. Where do you stand and why do you think this is on that subject? Uh, well, you know, I view the world as, uh, again, the wheel of time turns. Uh, things are very cyclical. I think if you look back at 
the sorts of writing that was being done in the 60s and 70s that was really challenging the status quo. Uh, you know, Heinlein for his time, uh, Joanna Rice, Russ in particular, Le Guin, these were folks who were really challenging um, the assumptions of science fiction and fantasy and writing their own things. Um, I remember reading Vonda McIntyre's book, uh, Dream Snake, and everyone's like, oh, it's this amazing uh, feminist, whatever, whatever. And I read it, I was like, this, it has a female main character, big deal. But for the time, that was a big deal. And so now I think we're coming back around and going, well, it's not enough just to be like, oh, hey, it's us with swords. Um, we really want to start interrogating some of these um, systems, uh, these assumptions, these cultural biases that we have to sort of look at how things could be different. Um, and so what I'm actually seeing is just sort of a coming back around, again, the cyclical seasons um, to that uh, really exciting time uh, that was, you know, science fiction and fantasy uh, in the 60s and 70s, and hopefully pushing further this time. And every time we come around again, um, you know, pushing that line just a little bit further. What is the future of science fiction and fantasy? Uh, you know, if I knew that, I would be rich uh, because <laughs> I'd be writing it. Uh, I'd like to think I am writing it. Um, you know, I don't know. It's really going to depend on uh, what the market wants. Um, I think we're seeing a real big push, a real big call for more um, diversity and difference in science fiction. Uh, we want things that are that are different. And I think the market is finally, right, publishers are finally saying, oh, hey, you know, with the success of Ancillary Justice in particular, maybe they really do want those sorts of stories. Um, so I'm not really sure how far we're going to go. Um, I'm perfectly happy to see, you know, everything that's on, been on the fringes for the last, you know, since I've been in this business 10 years, uh, 15 years, um, finally come and see that actually become mainstream. I think that'd be fun. I think it'd be awesome if people looked back and went, oh, that Cameron Hurley, she's such a conservative author. We're so much more progressive and advanced now. Then, then I would know that, that we've made progress. What next big project would you like to do? Well, you know, I uh, had a book that I was planning to sell before uh, Mirror Empire. It's actually called Legion. And it is sort of this Hindu-inspired space opera with all women uh, hurtling through, like, these alien living ships through space. And they are basically give birth to spaceships. And there's womb tech. And it's crazy. It's crazy. The world ending is crazy. Of all the world thing I've ever done, it's nuts. I brought it to my agent. I brought her, you know, Mirror Empire and, and Legion. And she goes, oh, yeah, Mirror Empire is going to be the more the more marketable thing. Uh, and I said, OK, well, that's that's great. I'd like to, you know, expand my audience after God's War, uh, Infidel and Rapture. And uh, and she said, well, you know, we'll, we'll just table this for now. And it's funny because when Ancillary Justice came out and did so well, she's like, let's Let's look at that space opera again. Um, so my hope is that something, uh, again, that is that weird and that out there uh, could find mainstream support would be pretty cool, pretty cool to me. What challenges did new authors face in the modern publishing world? I think that there are some of the same challenges. Uh, it really depends on the particular project, right? Uh, if I can go to somebody and say, hey, this is very similar to something else that just uh, did very well. Uh, I think we have going to have a much, uh, much better chance of getting it out there. Um, some of the problems I know that we're running into are the consolidation of publishers, right? The little publishers are either going bankrupt or they're uh, being sucked up into these bigger entities. And that's really where all the great stuff comes from. Um, you know, God's War was initially picked up by Bantam Books and the contract was canceled and it was eventually picked up by uh, Nightshade Books. And uh, they took a chance on a book that at the time no one was willing uh, to, go, to, to go there. And the reason was every time, I, how do we market this? It's not really science fiction. It's not really fantasy. It's not urban fantasy. And I was like, it's bug bunk. It's like, it's its own thing. Um, I think that has changed. I think actually when we pushed out that date two years, it came out two years later in the UK, I think 2013 there was kind of a shift happened. You started to feel it. Again, people started talking about, no, we are open to um, reading other things. Um, and seeing that shift happen was very interesting. So I think we're on, we're at a tipping point right now. I don't know if we're going to go all the way. Uh, or if we're going to get very conservative, you know, publishers will go, oh, I don't know about that. We, well, it looks like it's okay. I'm not sure. 
Um, but I'm very, very interested. I think it's a an exciting time to be doing weird things um, because I think that that for at least a small period, um, there is a little bit more open-mindedness about it. What's the hardest or what's the easiest part of being a writer? <laughs> the writing is the easiest part, uh, and that's okay. <laughs> uh, the business part of uh, writing and publishing uh, is, you know, and I thought I was prepared for it because I knew a lot of writers, um, but it's it's a fascinating sort of battleground out there, again, with publisher consolidation um, and all those other uh, things that you have to deal with, you know, marketing and all that. Um, so I would certainly say, you know what, it's going to work. The persistence pays off. You're going to get there. But just remember that when you publish that first book, you're just getting started. It's the start of like this entire other journey. Um, you kind of level up and then you level up to an even harder, you know, it's a harder level. Um, so, but just to keep on keeping on. If you were trapped on a desert island with one book for company, what would it be? Uh, that would actually have to be a non-genre book. That would have to be The Hours by Michael Cunningham. Uh, I've probably reread that book about 20 times. So, Carmen Hurley, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. This is Fab Radio International. So that was Carmen Hurley. She was completely lovely. Um, very, very interesting chat. And we'll talk about The Mirror Empire at some point when I think both of us get a chance to read it. No, it sounds really good, actually. I think it's right right up my street. Talking about reading books, what have you got there? Talking about brilliant books. Um, today I have got um, Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. Um, now we've gone from sort of like high fantasy to sort of um, paranormal I wouldn't even know what where to class it it is classed as young adult um, but again it's one of those that it doesn't matter whether you're you're 13 or or, or 60 you're going to enjoy it it's young really good it's a marketing term really isn't it yeah pretty much um, so just to give you a bit of an idea of what what the story is about um, Karu um, is is um, a 17 year old girl um, she studies art in Prague um, she's um, sort of um, very artistic um, you know has a best friend and hangs out in this really cool sounding weird little cafe hidden in the streets of Prague um, and that's half of her life the other half involves her running around um, for errands um, for um, Brimstone, who's this monster that lives elsewhere, and that's elsewhere with the big capital E. Cool. Yes, very. Um, what um, basically Brimstone gets Kara to do is collect teeth. And these teeth can be of anything animals weird things I'm not going to go too much into it are these the sort of things that an alchemist might want so like the, the horn of a unicorn the, the well of the, the, there is an element of that but it's mostly teeth okay mostly teeth because Brimstone's work involves teeth um some form of magic does hang on? Did Brimstone used to have a job of I don't know collecting teeth from small children? <laughs> no, he didn't. Um, what Brimstone does, though, is he ensures that his race keeps living and fighting a massive war that's been going on in this sort of um, other dimension, uh, where Brimstone's kind, the Chimeras, are fighting against their old age enemies. The angels. Some would actually say it's almost like, you know, hell and heaven colliding somewhere. And uh, there is a lovely sort of intro quote to the book. Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well. It never does. (laughs) And it's it's wonderful. So the story actually flicks through... um, 
Kara's story in modern day Prague and anywhere else that Brimstone sends her. So you get little snippets of her running around the world. And all she does is basically she walks into this door, um, ends up in Brimstone's workshop. There's some fantastic characters around that workshop as well. Um, so the, the, there's, there's some sidekicks that are quite good fun. And they're all monsters. And... Um, and then the other sort of half of the story, um, which is sort of interlocked in, in different chapters, is the story of Alf Brimstone's world, almost seen through the eyes of, of um, um, basically a, 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 a female chimera. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly good. It's so good. It should be a sin. Um, I, I really, really loved the story. I absolutely adored it. It's very dark. There's a sort of like a melancholic sort of atmosphere that surrounds you while you're reading this. It's almost nostalgic in places. Is it that sort of... There's a, the, 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 there is an, an enjoyable melancholia that I tend to refer to as goth. Where you're kind of you're enjoying the mob, and it's not you're you're not enjoying it. It's just it's part of that the mood. Yeah, the, there is no actual mope. I mean, obviously there's there's um there's a there's a beautiful story, and there's there's a war going on, and obviously by just by the opening quotes, I'm not giving you any spoilers. These are the first words that you will read as you open the book. You know, there's an angel and a devil. Um, in quote, <laughs> quotes um, that fall in love and it's quite quite big and epic and and you don't really know where Kara fits in in all this story until sort of like the end of the first book pretty much where where you get this big revelation about Kara's mysterious life uh, she doesn't really remember much I mean as far as she can remember she's always lived this sort of double life where she spends some time in, in the real world and then the other time you know she grows up in Brimstone's workshop Is it a young adult book in the sense that they didn't know how else to market it? It's a young adult book in the sense that the heroine is a 17 year old girl that goes to university or to school, to art school and is studying and, and has a friend. But there is not, there's, there's very, very little um, that has to do with, with the actual big main plot that happens within school boundaries. There's a wonderful um, sort of friendship that's described between this girl Kara who's sort of lived her life with monsters and is not really sure how real life works and her friend um, who loves her and cherishes her and, and kind of tries to keep her safe and doesn't really know much about her she just knows that they click and get on and you know um, there's, a, there's a, a, a scene where her Kara's friend has got a, an art instalment in the streets of Prague and it's just wonderful how, how it's been concocted and how you see it through the eyes of Kara as well uh, but it is a fantastic story and it's, it's just wonderfully told I'm, I'm so in love with it and it's part of a trilogy um, the second book is out as well and I'm not sure, I think the third one's just is just sort of come out as well does it feel like the first part in the series, or is it? It does because of the way it ends. However, having read the first book, I'm actually quite happy with with what you learn. And although I wouldn't say you know it works perfectly as a standalone book, if you read it and you're satisfied with it, you don't have to go into the second book and learn what happens because it has a nice feel of wrapping up some story there um, and, and you get to know exactly what, what's going on in this world uh, the second book is called Days of Blood and Starlight and I've got that at home waiting for me so I will get to it at some point and possibly review it just to see if it's as good as the first one I'm really hoping it will be but um, yeah fantastic world really great take on different mythologies um, really really interesting um, characters a good, strong female character, really lovely voice to follow. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. 
So who's it by and who's it, who publishes? It's Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor and it's published by Hodder. Cool. So um, coming up next, I think we, it's about, about time we talk about Edge Lit. Edge Lit! Hello, gentle listeners. So you're listening to The Bookworm. Uh, which you should be able to tell by checking your podcasting device because, of course, you're listening to us on iTunes. You might be listening to us live on fabradiointernational.com. Uh, and if not, why not? It's a fantastically alternative show, don't you know? A uh, fantastically alternative radio station as well. So, all of that posturing aside, let's talk about Edgelit. Yes. Shall we explain what Edgelit is? First? We should, we should. Edgelit is uh, a festival. It was on last week, so if you've missed it, you need to use your time machine. Alternatively, you can go next year because it runs every year. It's based in Derby. It was in the Derby Quad, which is like students' union, styley area, mm, arts very area. Cool. Um, it's the Derby Quad basically does like festivals and arts and this sort of thing. Um, one day festival. It's just all about the books. It's one of those very strange little uh, Alex Davis, who is really, really good at what he does. He's an event organizer knows everyone in the publishing industry. He came up from the, the, the ranks with Black Library mm. and then he's done stuff at Angry Robot and he's quite in, quite involved and entrenched um, with the kind of the publishing scene. So he's just talked to everyone and he just gets the most amazing guests. So um, should, we, should we have a run through at the people that we met? So uh, we met Joe Abercrombie. Oh, awesome. I met Charlie Strauss. Yay, he's Charlie really Strauss. Nice. Um, I met Andrew David Barker, um, whose um, new sort of first novel, The Electric, and sounds amazingly good, um, has just come out. Um, we met Janet Edwards, author of the Earth Girl trilogy. Uh, very interesting as well. She had some very interesting stuff to say, especially about young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met Jane Fenn, who was very, very cool. Uh, we kind of we kept meeting Simon Clark. Simon Clark is uh, the the guy who wrote the uh, his award winning novel Night of Trevitz was the kind of the official sequel to sequel to the Day of Trevitz so there you go. Um, he was just lovely, and we kind of met him while he was shaving the head of Teresa Darwin. <laughs> now Teresa Darwin is uh, a small press publisher. That's the easiest way to describe it. She's responsible for uh, Fringe Works. Uh, we've talked about fringe works before. We, we quite have. like fringe works, but she had her head shaved for charity, and that was oh, it was amazing, amazing. It was for breast cancer. One of the most surreal experiences I've had in my journalistic <laughs> life. Um, got to I got to meet Johnny Mains, who is obsessed with the Pan Macmillan horror books. It's the best way to describe him. He's a he's a horror editor. He's um, you know he's, he's a horror. He's a writer and journalist, but he's mostly an editor of a horror. We saw a great talk about that. About we did, yeah. There was a, a wonderful uh, panel on, on ghost stories with uh, Mary O'Brien as well. Um, really, really interesting. We got to meet Trisha Sullivan. Um, fantastic panels, really, really interesting things to say. And they had a look at sort of um, fantasy and, and, and the role of fantasy and whether there's a comeback. It sounds really good. It is really good. Um, Maybe I shall make it one year. You should. You, you should, totally you should. should. You should. Um, who else did we meet? Because uh, you, you did, I believe, use a stunt producer, Al. We, we, had, we had a stunt, we had producer, a stunt Al. producer, Al. Yes, we did. Um, but yeah, basically, um, I mean, although it seems to be sort of marketed more towards aspiring authors um, and sort of established authors to, to, to come together and talk about business uh, as a reader as well it's amazing because you get to meet these these fantastic authors and literally you know we were sitting downstairs at, at, at the bar at the end of the day and across from us there was uh, Charles Strauss talking to two fans and it was amazing you know they were there for a, over a good hour just chatting about books and reading and writing I mean, it was your first time had, had we been able to stay in it was just too hot sorry listen it was just too hot <laughs> it was too much of it there was so much going on that weekend that we we had to leave otherwise we would have been unconscious um, for, for the entire Sunday there was so much going on um, I, last year I stayed over I did a I 
got a hotel. Ah. And you end it, you, you, you find out that because, because the authors are just hanging around and having a drink, you just end up rubbing shoulders with all sorts of people that you wouldn't normally rub shoulders with. Um, it's very, it's not meant to be an industry gathering. It's meant to be a, you know, a general public gathering, but it's kind of become this kind of miniature uh, general public gathering. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, I like the way it was constructed because you had several rooms and you had panels, so you had, you know, ghost stories, science fiction, how much science do you need? That was a really interesting one. Uh, where horror and other genres meet, uh, there was writing in more than one genre, what an editor really wants. So there are sort of, if you read through that, you're thinking, okay, if I was an aspiring author, these would be really interesting things to be at. And then there was obviously guest slots, like, for example, um, there was a chat by Joe Abercrombie and there was a specific chat with Charles Stross as well. And you get an hour where, you know, you're just there and asking questions to these fantastic authors. There's also book launches. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good that I didn't actually grab as much champagne as I did last year. <laughs> there were canapes. He was amazing. Um, and then there were workshops as well and signings. So all of the um, authors that were taking part in the different things were available to sign the books and there were books available to buy in the place as well for if people to do, get signed. If you do go next year, turn up early. This is a, a strong piece of advice. We were very lucky that we were able to grab workshops just as they end yes they they uh, go so fast because they they obviously they have a, a limit of people for health and safety reasons it's like 15 people yeah 15 people um so i i went to um the um workshop with andrew david barker which was write what you know and what it means in genre fiction and then i went to the writing for young adults and avoiding the pitfalls by janet Edwards, which was amazing. I Both to, of them. I went to the Penny Dreadful um, <laughs> workshop, and that was very, very good. It was very much a writing workshop. Some of these workshops were lectures with talks, and some of them were um, proper writing workshops where you probably wrote. And it was like, okay, here are some ideas. Here are some more ideas. Here's the genre that you're in. Here are the pitfalls to avoid. Right. And I was like, yeah, I should have brought a laptop. Because <laughs> uh, my typing speed is much better than my hand speed. Um, but yeah, we really enjoyed. We both did the young adults one, and did, yeah, absolutely. I had a bit of a moment because I was just like, I'm trying to write this book and it's not working, and everyone was like, Here are some suggestions. Pretty much got used as the example pupil as how not to do it. <laughs> it. It was amazing though, because I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan girl for, for authors. You know, if I if I love a book and and I get to meet the person that wrote it, I'm like, Oh my god, you're so amazing. And Janet Edwards is one of those that you know, Earth Girls had massively positive um, reception when it was published it's now book two and book three is coming out this year as well um, and she's an absolute sweetheart you know she speaks to you and is really wanting to help and she knows what she's talking about she had some really great suggestions about finding your voice as a young adult writer uh, what to avoid what not to avoid how to do it um, and she was just so so um, so lovely just lovely and and Andrew Barker just the same um you know he, he gave us some prompts and and some really good ideas on how to draw in your personal experiences especially through childhood because that's when you see the world with most you know magical eyes and how you can translate those experiences into different genres of writing whether it's the your preferred one or something you've never tried before so i actually wrote the beginning of a half a horror story um which you know it's not exactly something that i've ever thought of writing but i'm like actually i could i could do this um it was it was very very helpful uh, and again for me as an aspiring you know as an author and and for those that aspire to be an author, it's very, very useful experience. I think one of the things that's also very interesting is that the I've been there twice now, and some of the same faces pop up again and again and again, but these same faces have have moved on. So sometimes you know, you one year there'll be a guy who's like, "Oh, I'm trying to write this book." The second year, I saw him is that he'd written the book, he, he'd signed a book deal, he was doing very well for himself. And it's interesting to track these. And he was, you know, he was talking to various other writers and kind of just making that it's a good place if you're if you need a point 
to start out in your career. And if you need to set a date in your calendar and you're doing that sort of procrastinating, now I don't think either of us recommend that. We both say just go out and write. But if you need to kind of, you know, to, to set mm. a point and set a goal, definitely, and then, then say, right, I want something written by Edgelet. I think, you know, if you listen to the show now and you've always wanted to be a writer, start writing now. Have something that you can talk about by Edgelet, even if it's not finished, something that you can, you know, bring. If you haven't got that written by then, go anyway. If you, you know, it's a really good place to get into I think it. for me, being the first time, um, I could definitely see sort of a, a split in two areas. If you're an aspiring author, go to the workshops. If you're a reader that wants to meet and listen to your authors, go and listen to the panels and go to the signings because obviously you'll get the most of out of the experience. It doesn't mean that you can't do the workshop. It just means that, you know, it's a bit more targeted to people that are actually trying to break through in the in the industry. And if you're an industry p- professional, such as a writer or a publisher, on a jolly, go in the pub. Yeah, uh, networking in the pub. Woohoo! Uh, and we should say thank you to the people at Edulit for inviting us along in the first place. Absolutely. Yes, thank you very much thank to Alex you. Davis. It was great. Um, we, we, we can't praise this event enough. We really can't. Uh, we, should be on a, we should be straightforward. We did get press tickets to go and see it. It's 25 quid for, well, for, the day. for the day. And you basically go in at 11 and then it finishes at silly o'clock at night oh, where well you actually it. get to, you know. Uh, there's a show and everything at the end. There was a humorous show this time, uh, which and, is extra. You know, but it's they a, did one it's last a year as well. big, nice fall day, and you know, just around the corner, there's this really lovely bakery as well. Oh yeah, that, that as well. <laughs> Food's quite good. Shall we? Shall we run away? Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. You've been listening to The Bookworm on Fat Radio International.com. I've been your host, Ed Fortune, and... And I've been your hostess, Nympha Hayes. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr at Radio Bookworm. Our owl, if you're a wizard, is also called Radio Bookworm. He gets mocked by the other owls. So is our raven. Our raven's also called Radio Bookworm. He gets mocked by the maesters. We're on Mixcloud. We're on iTunes. You can get to us on Starburst Magazine via iMFinder iTunes. There's also all sorts of stuff. You can contact us telepathically, but none of us have psychic powers. So It's a bit um, of a waste of time. It's a bit of a waste of time. So we'd better leave. And um, coming up next is the page turner and also read Starburst Magazine. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine, presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A.L. Johnson.